Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Green Party leader and Minister for Climate, Eamon Ryan, is here in studio for the first in a series of interviews with the leaders of the coalition parties and the opposition. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen has told a joint sitting of the Houses of the Oireachtas that Europe should learn from Irish stubbornness to help the EU break free from dependency on Russian fossil fuels. Tens of thousands of Ukrainians fleeing from Putin's bombs in the east found the famous Irish welcome here in the West. And we take a look at all the other big news stories of the week with our studio panel. As always, join the conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. First tonight, Garthi are continuing their investigations in Monaghan into the circumstances surrounding the deaths of two men in separate locations close to the border. A 60-year-old man was found first with apparent stab wounds at his home. A short time later, a 37-year-old man died at Ballynacarry Bridge after he was hit by a car. Garthi detectives are investigating the deaths. They believe that they may be linked. Uh, back to tonight and here in studio, I'm joined by the Minister for Transport, Climate, Environment and Communications and leader of the Green Party, Eamon Ryan, in the first of a series of interviews we'll be hosting with the leaders of the main political parties as the government changeover approaches. Minister, you're very welcome along to the programme tonight. Um, it's been a busy day for you, a busy day in the Dáil. We had the president of the EU Commission in town, Ursula von der Leyen, addressing you and your political colleagues um, she had much to say about the border, about us welcoming Ukrainian refugees and also talking about Ireland and how it, it's stepping up when it comes to meeting this energy crisis, um, referring to Ireland as a wind energy superpower and that uh, the EU could learn from this green island. Do you take heart from that? I do. Um, I think there were three messages she was giving. Firstly, that Europe will be strong on the protocol and protecting the Good Friday Agreement that we had to stay strong in response to the Russian war in Ukraine, and that's difficult. But thirdly, as you say, probably our key message, and our message of her, her time as head of the European Commission, that Europe's going green, that this is the new economic strategy for the Union, that it will be renewable, it will be digital, and we will restore nature at the same time. And as she said, that Ireland actually, in a number of ways, is already starting to show that we can do this. We can be good at this. We can, as what she described, we can be a beacon, an example, particularly in the likes of wind power, where we are actually one of the leading countries in the world at integrating wind power into our system. And how you can use what she described then was that Ireland has the potential to have a surplus. We have the potential to actually turn this to our economic advantage, not just developing industries here, meeting our power needs, but also exporting power to the rest of Europe. So I think that's why that was so key to her, because Europe has to switch away from Russian and Middle East oil and gas. 
we've gone from about 40% of our, of our uh, gas coming from the Russia down to 10%. And we have to switch an alternative. And the alternative will be renewable power. And Ireland, particularly in our offshore waters, has got renewable power at scale. And that's why she was so keen on that message. Yeah, and that's something the Greens must be happy about in government because it's a message that's now, you know, very strong in the European agenda and something that you can push back home. But I'm thinking about the climate targets that are in place and that, that have been set. And the fact that we are on, on the back foot there, almost a quarter of measures have been delayed and our greenhouse gas emissions are rising. How concerned are you about that? And how does that marry with the idea of being at some, somewhat like a green superpower? Well, what I say to my colleagues on that, and it is going to be a challenge. It's, it's a huge change. It changes everything. It's going to dominate politics in the next 10, 20, 30 years. Um, but we don't have a choice. We, we, we don't have a choice, first of all, because we have a very strong climate law, as President yeah. von der Leyen said today, which requires ministers, if you're not on target, to adjust measures to make sure you get back on track. But secondly, European law is also is even more demanding. It's requiring even greater ambition. And thirdly, so what about, sorry, the fact that almost a quarter of measures have been delayed and the fact that our greenhouse gas emissions are rising since this climate action well, the plan came in? There were like, I'm talking about in your own department um, that a third of targets have not been achieved, 139 out of 204 measures completed. Where are there, the challenges there, there within your own department? Well, there are three challenges. There are three main reasons why emissions are rising. Firstly, because as we come out of COVID, we're starting to see people start driving again, transport emissions rising again, and that has to change. We have to fundamentally change our entire transport system so they start coming down. Second reason is because we are tight in the provision of electricity. We're short of power. We auction systems we had for the delivery of backup power didn't deliver. So we're still seeing money point to coal-fired power station and Tarbert and oil-fired power station running. And we have to do everything now to switch them off so that emissions start falling. And third area is in agriculture, where we're seeing the dairy herd continue to rise. And that's the reason why emissions are growing. So when all three, going back to just the point I'm making, we don't have a choice. We have to, by Irish law, by European law, but also our economic strategy. I met someone recently, a friend who was involved in one of the big tech companies, and she said, you have to know now that all these companies are going to go green as well. They're going to go and meet these targets. And if we as a country are not doing that, our whole economic strategy would fall apart. So that's what I'm talking about specifically. 139 out of 204 measures completed within your own department. Mm -hmm. There's other departments that have got a hundred percent. They've got a you know full report card and they're coming in on target when it comes to climate action. So what are the difficulties within your own department and what are you going to do about that? We probably have the biggest challenge because we have to change our whole waste system, our energy system, or the way we heat our buildings and so on. But we are doing it. As President von der Leyen said today, in many ways we're showing real leadership. What we will do and what we've seen, even if we take the last week, just take what's happened in the last week as examples of what's changing. So last Friday, we uh, launched, we signed the contract of a new interconnector with France. So we will send electricity between Ireland and France as a way of balancing our... our, our of course, that's power. nuclear energy that's, that's coming from France nuclear to power Irish coming shores. back about 25% of the time, but 75% of the time, it'll be Irish power going into the European grid. And that will give us more security, it will help mm. us lower emissions and help us meet our targets. As an example, to answer your question, so what are you doing? On Monday, my colleague, Minister Oisín Smith, 
uh, start of the scheme we're going to make towards a deposit return scheme where you can get your plastic bottle, bring it back to a centre where you get a payment for that as a way of incentivising us to get more recycling, to reduce our waste, to Will create this circular you pay more for your bottle economy. in order to get the discount at the other end? You do, but you actually, what you have is, you live a much, much less litter much better system for high quality recycling material because that you get very high quality uh, plastic bottles back mm. and cans and that will be a, a part. But the consumer essentially on that one just at a point because there has been criticism around this they're actually paying more for the plastic bottle and then say they recycle it at home a lot of people do have green bins they recycle their plastic at home you know it's in their bag say it's a bottle of water you bring it home you drink it and then you recycle you're getting nothing back there you have to go out your way to find your specific bottle bank and then get, you know, a discount in that way. The way our waste plan works Maybe is drive there. Maybe you have to drive to get to that bottle bank. The way the waste plan works is that industry has a responsibility and they're actually going to have to set up these systems and they're going to have to make sure that their products don't have throwaway uh, single-use plastic mm. that you can't recycle. Do reduce the amount of I guess packaging. I'm talking about consumer cost here on that one, Minister. Yeah, essentially, you're paying more up front in order to no, consume from a plastic bottle. No, you're getting bottle. payment back. But let's remember one thing. When it talks about cost, if we continue with the unsustainable model where our environment is thrashed, where we have plastic in everything, including in our own, affecting our own health mm. system, when you get to a level when you've got plastic nodules in everything, in our waters, in our natural systems, like there's a cost to that. There's a cost if we don't address climate change in terms of how do we manage the massive migration that would come mm -hmm. from people being displaced or the huge cost of dealing with what we're already seeing is weather events which destroy our, our, our infrastructure. You see, and I hear you speaking there and you're talking about that urgency, that climate crisis that we know exists. And, and yet some would say we're not, re we're hearing about action, we're hearing about targets, but there's not that real sense of urgency and the acceleration that's perhaps needed now and leading from the front on it. Um, I'm thinking about a proposal that was put forward by Hannah Daly, Professor of Sustainability at UCC, who was writing in today's Irish Times, among other things, saying, why don't we put solar panels on all government buildings? Is that something that you would say, yes, we should be doing that right now? Yes, and we're going to start with our schools. We're going to spend 30 million euros going to every school in the country. So we learn from that. We okay, learn. What about in the seat of power? What about having, say, Leinster House, solar panels? Yeah. Right. Is, that, to... is that going to happen? Is that a proposal the you've sc... put forward? You'd like yeah, to see the happen? the scale of change that's coming is beyond compare. Now, it'll only... So, I mean, how's that specific plan, say, being put forward? We're going to we're around... really publishing a climate plan next... Solar panels two on weeks key time. public buildings. We'll be publishing a climate action plan the next iteration, and it is iteration, you change every year. We're setting a target that we, by 2025, within three years, will have some five, gigaw five gigawatts of solar power. Now that, on a sunny summer day, would power the country. It means we can switch off everything else and run on solar power. Even in Ireland, which is not the sunniest place on the planet, the economics of this makes sense. And yes, public buildings have to be centre stage. Public, has to lead, public sector has to lead by example. And we have to cut our emissions more than the private sector, so we go first. But that is happening. That's real. We're starting. This year alone, just an example of things changing, people used to be able to sell power, power back to the grid. Now they can. Mm -hmm. People used to have all sorts of complicated planning rules in terms of what's, how much pounds you could put, put on the roof. 
that has changed. We are introducing by week by week a whole series of measures, some of which will be challenging, some of which in the likes of area of transport and agriculture in particular will be difficult mm. because it will require us to change the way the system works. In energy, I think it'll happen quicker because actually gas is expensive. Coal and oil are dirty and expensive. Yeah. And it's obviously and we come have to the fore as well, Minister, power. because of the war in Ukraine and, and the focus being on energy now mm. and where, where we can develop our own system. Um, another proposal I was interested in was the car park at Leinster House should be removed. Would you be in favour of that? I'd move it into the multi-storey car park on Molesworth Street. It's only five minutes walk away. And yeah, I think we should lead by example in that sort of project. But that's a matter for the Oireachtas Commission. They'd all have to decide that Have you put that forward as a, as a proposal? I'm doing it here now. And I think that multi-storey car park, as I said, is only around the corner. So it's not like some Dáil deputies, they have to make, our senators, like they do have to drive. They may for whatever different circumstances mm. they have. So it's not, this won't work. If we do it as pointing at people, shame people, make people, how dare you drive? How dare you be the problem? But yeah, I'd love to see us. Okay, make so you're saying history. on the programme tonight, get rid of the car park at Leinster House. I think I've always, I've always felt, why wouldn't we put it into the multi-storey car park, which is two minutes walk away? Okay, and have you have you expressed this in your job? Just done, just did now. Okay, <laughs> all right. So you've put it out there. Um, what would you like to see in its place? I think we. I, I think firstly. One of the things I've always felt is, if you, now God, you're into details here now. If you look at uh, Leinster Lawn, which is the, the Leinster House actually faced out in Marion Square, that was the front of the building. I'd love if you could actually go from the National Art Gallery and the National History Museum into that front lawn area where the car park is at the moment. I could almost see it as an extension of Marion Square that you'd have more green space in the centre of the city, in a very beautiful part okay. of the city. That's what I'd like okay. to see. OK, well, we, you've, you've heard it here first, so we'll have to see um, where that goes and I guess what, what fellow uh, TDs might think of that proposal. But certainly it's something that's been put out there by climate experts who'd like to see uh, move on this and maybe it's something that... Um, could have been thought of before, but there, there we'll see. We'll see where, how that progresses. Um, let's talk about the issue of retrofitting, because that's something that comes down to something that you believe you know everyone can do up and down the country. And there was a big launch around that this year. Um, as of October, I saw figures that 89 homes were retrofitted out of a target of 62,500. Isn't that's that a fig- failure? Those figures were nonsense. That was utter nonsense. How were they nonsense now? Because this year we're going to do 27,000 houses. Right, so, so where did that, that, it, where did, where I did that come from? I have the first faintest idea where that figure came from. Because we, but I remember we did seeing hear that about 681 approvals have been made, but in yeah. terms of job done, home retrofitted, 27, getting to that... 27,000, on target. That's what we said. I thought, to, that, is the target not 62,500? No, 27,000 houses this year, and we'll meet that. You will fully meet that? Yeah. Despite what we're hearing from the opposition about red tape, about the full no, cost the, being 80,000 euro. Job, the, job, the opposition's job sometimes is to talk things down, and OK, fine. But the truth is, we have in place probably one of the best systems in Europe for retrofitting houses, in that we have a guaranteed budget income. We know that we have a 9 billion euro budget for the next eight years. We are scaling it up. Last year we did 15,000 houses. This year it's 27. Next year it should be at least 37,000 and we have to go on uh, up from there. Now it has been challenging because it's hard to get workers in our economy at the moment. Have we Um, exceeded the target you're saying for this year? No, we're meeting it. And will it be met by the end of the year? Yes. Fully? Yeah. I'm wondering because, you know, those who've tried to access the system say it's a bit of a bureaucratic nightmare and the upfront costs are 
and substantial. That, and, and that does have to improve. We've said that to the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland and we're making, put, putting in place measures. Do you think something like low interest loans should be in place? To, we're in a cost of living crisis right now. People do want to do their best. I mean, I, I, it's going to keep the energy bills down if you can get, you know, a warm, comfortable home. But does there need to be more incentives um, for people in order to do that? Do you believe if you're saying the system is clunky and difficult at the moment and the upfront costs are high, that there should be, say, a low interest loan system in place for people that they can avail of? Yes, and we will introduce it early in the new year. We have a 500 million euro fund backed up by the European Investment Bank. And what it will do is it will take the first quarter of the loan and it will de-risk that. So if you if anyone defaults, we will cover the risk of that. And then other banks will provide the remind, remainder of the lending. And that brings down the cost because they know that the first quarter of the loan is guaranteed. Okay, so we so are going to see... And that will introduce, you are going to compel the banks to introduce these loans. That's going to we be... Are introducing that's them. going to happen. We're introducing them. And we'll introduce them where it'll be a rate akin to the mortgage rate, slightly higher maybe, but certainly many percentage points or several percentage points beneath the market rate. The, mar that would the mortgage rate is pretty high at the moment. But, so but, like... but that rate will be significantly lower than the rate that exists at present, and that'll be introduced in the new year. Okay, um... Let's look at sort of wider policy and what's within um, the Green Party brief and, and the brief of one of your very busy ministers, Roderick O'Gorman. Um, speaking in Paris last week, Minister, you acknowledged the challenge of accommodating refugees, saying that you were concerned about the availability of properties for those fleeing war. And you also talked about the immediate emergency response and to see how that could be changed to make it more sustainable. So what do you want to change? Oh God, first and foremost, the thing you want to change is to end the war because that's driving it all. But we don't have control over that, obviously. And we can't. I mean, it was interesting listening to President von der Leyen. As I said at the very start here, one of her key messages today was for the Irish people to stay stubborn, I think was the word she used, in support of the democratic principles that are at stake. I think Minister O'Gorman and his team have done a remarkable job mm. to, 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 to manage 70,000 people coming into the country, providing accommodation. I think what we're going to have to do is a whole series of further measures, including series of larger scale centres, the likes of the ones we had in City West or other public buildings, which How quickly can they come about? I mean, are you talking about, say, bypassing planning to get these up and running, to have centres around the country? I know it was a recommendation um, that we heard a couple of weeks ago that was printed, I think, in an opinion piece, but it was just around that in order to fulfil an emergency obligation here was to, to build a number of, of centres that would house people who are seeking um, think, shelter in this think, time of war. I think we're going to have to look at those sort of measures. I think we're also, what's starting to be delivered is sort of modular housing that, that can be built quickly. Um, I think the further call out in terms of for people to bring people into their homes is going to be part of it. I think there's a mosaic of different solutions that we need. It's not going to be easy. Yeah, and, 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 and you've acknowledged that, that it's not going to be easy. It is a challenge and it is concerning about how many um, homes we can provide for people. Do you think Rodrigo Gorman's department can cope or do you believe at this point, as has been said from many quarters, including the Refugee Council, we need a specific task force now in place. We need to look at this as, say, 
a COVID emergency. And when you had the chief medical officer, you had a task force that was looking at this. When it comes to our response to the refugee crisis, that's what's needed right now in the country. Would you agree? Well, first, firstly, he is coping and his team and his department. Incredible. The work they're doing is, is beyond compare. Would but you not yet... say it's overwhelming? It's an awful lot for his department to take on. I mean, when you look at the list of things actually under, the, the you know, the list goes on as to yeah. what, what he's over. Yeah, but... and, and, then, and then to have this, this refugee crisis on top of yeah. that. They're highly, he and his team are highly capable, but they do need help. We do need to do more. We need to look at other measures and other so departments rowing in. Would you be talking about, um, say, a singular agency? I don't know. I mean, if I A refugee SAR, like somebody to come in and oversee this. I think you need a combination of, as I said, it's not anyone, I'm just saying some of it would be czars if you can click your fingers and solve what's going to be a really difficult problem. Yeah, but in order to resolve that problem, because that's been one of the issues, it's been around communication, it's been around, you know, getting people to the right accommodation as quickly as possible. I don't think anyone, no amount of communication, no amount of kind of, you couldn't do this in an easy way. Like no one could have managed this in a way that wasn't going to have some hiccups, some problems, some bottlenecks. So when you say more help is needed, where should that help come from? I think we need more housing. And I think we need more buildings, public buildings. I think the rest of all the public sector, and my department's included, so that's look. pulling the Department of Housing in more. You want to see and more other, action from other government other departments, departments, do you? Yes. Specifically where, what government departments? I think anyone who has access to public land where we could put up the sort of centres we need that can accommodate the sort of five to 700 uh, people at a time, it's that sort of other, other government departments assisting with the delivery of those units is probably one of the key things we need. Um, at your party's annual conference, you said that the Green Party is leading the charge in delivering real solutions that improve the daily quality of life. If you're leading the charge, do you have frustrations about others within the coalition sharing that vision? No, you, that, it doesn't work if you kind of try and hoard something or, or gain credit. Like, I think the government has functioned well. I think if you look Where at... Where do you believe that there is room for improvement? I think the speed of decisions in our planning system is our biggest bottleneck, is our biggest problem. In housing, which is our critical issue, in energy and transport and so many other areas, it's the ability to get quick decisions through planning is our biggest problem. Some would say that might be pushing through decisions that people on the ground wouldn't be happy with, a lack it, of consultation. You do have to still consult and you have to get environmental conditions right. But I don't think the current system, which everything ends up in the courts and takes years to get through the courts, serves anyone's, anyone's interests. I think we need to be quicker on that. But can I say one thing? I was just making the point, I think the government has functioned well. I think we got through COVID in difficult circumstances as a united team. I think we've managed this war in Ukraine and all the, that has mm. thrown us with real difficulty. I think particular Green Ministers, if I look at Roderick, you say his department's overwhelmed, but what he's managed to do, and people will see it next January, when the childcare costs come down some 25% because of the measures he put in place, what Catherine Martin did with introducing a basic income scheme for arts, real mm. significant change. What we're doing in retrofitting, in public transport, reducing fares for the first time since 1947, okay. They're real measures that improve people's quality All of right. life. That's where we you, are. You have delivering. set a goal for the Greens to get 10% of the vote at the next elections uh, and double your number of councillors at the next local elections. Yet the most recent uh, Ipsos MRBI report, the Irish Times poll, had a Green Party support on 4%. Would you acknowledge that that aim of 10% of 
is wildly ambitious. No, I don't. I think it's absolutely real because I'll tell you why. I think even in the next two years, people are going to realise that our planet is in peril. Our future, our children's future is in peril. Your children's future is in peril. And I'd be going to the door saying to people, would you not vote for your child mm. for the future, that they will have a stable planet, the one that we had the great joy of living within? And would one in 10 people, Irish people, not be willing to do that for their grandchild, our grandson, our granddaughter, our son, our daughter, our niece, our nephew, our neighbour? And I think actually most Irish people would, uh, one in 10 Irish people, I'm not fully confident, they'd say yes, particularly in the local and European elections. Despite those, despite that 4% popularity rating that you yeah, got most that, recently. You're not fixated on polls. I wouldn't, I wouldn't. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Always obsess on so that. So you believe it's a slow burner. Is that, believe, is that what you're saying well, here? Like, do we look back? The and planet say, is a slow burner. Mm. That's the problem. Mm. Like, the, they, they, like, let's be straight and honest here. We are in a planet that's about to burn unless we start taking the sort of actions that we as a party have been leading for. And I'm going to go to the Irish people and say, would you vote for us to give us the chance to show some leadership in that and deliver it at skate and spiel? And I think most Irish people want to do that. And I okay. think one in 10 will do that. How do you see the change in, of leadership? How do you think that is going to shift things within the coalition? Because it is likely. We've got a, we've got a new Taoiseach at the helm. How, yeah. how do you think it's going to shift relations? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Um, we start this government, though, with the three leaders. And I mean, are there, are, there, are there different challenges? You're now going to have a Fianna Gael leader back at the helm. Yeah, there where are. Do you see, where do you see the difference there? Where do you see the niggle all points, three parties are All three parties are very different, actually. And, and, uh, and three characters are different of leadership. But I can make the point. We started off by sitting down, each of us, myself, Tisha Gantanishta, and saying, were we willing to do this in what we see the public interest? And we were. And I think that has served us well. Collectively, there's trust there and there's good cooperation. And I don't see that changing. It, we'll see. Okay. It, it'll be the force of you know, characters and personalities. But this is a time when you serve your people because we're in a difficult time. Uh, and and that'll, that'll trump any other difficulties. OK, uh, and finally, uh, to, to, to finish on, when we're looking to Christmas this year, and there's a lot of talk around sustainability, um, 
also people don't have a lot of money to spend, arguably. But will you be changing your Christmas this year in response to the energy crisis and um, in response to the green agenda? What will it look like for you? I think Christmas tends to stay the same every year. And so I'll be at home and then I go to Donegal and we follow the same kind of routine and won't change that much. We are trying to keep our bills down like everyone is. Fewer Christmas lights. I tend to be turning things off a bit now, yeah. Okay. But I think everyone does that. But without pointing the finger, shaming people, just because it makes sense, it saves you money. All right. Okay, there we'll have to leave it. Minister Eamon Ryan, thank you for joining us in studio tonight. Uh, my thanks to the Minister after the break. All the other big stories of the day, do stay with us. Welcome back. Now for a look at all the other big stories of the day. I'm joined by Managing Director of the Communications Clinic, Owen Thomas McDermott, Irish Examiner Political Correspondent and News Brands Young Journalist of the Year. We got that in, Kira <laughs> Phelan, congratulations. And News Talk Broadcaster, Henry McKean. You're all very welcome along to the show. Um, I suppose to come to you first, Kira, off the back of that interview with Minister Eamon Ryan, what did you take from it? Um, you know, he, he did make the promise on the show tonight, yes, he would like to see the car park at Leinster House uh, gotten yeah. rid of. Good line, Claire. And I suppose a lot of uh, former TDs will be disappointed that perhaps if Eamon Ryan continues in government, that they may not be able to park their car uh, at the busy Christmas period because former members can park there. Mm. Um, actually, Taoiseach was asked about this last year and he shot down the proposal of basically reversing what was... A, a garden uh, at the car park on Kildare Street. Um, he said, no, that, you know, people have to be entitled to park their cars. So I don't know where Eamon Ryan would get that, but uh, I'm sure he that says He's pointed to the multi-storey car park across the road. Look, it all looks like very sort of minor yeah. uh, political issues of where they're going to, where the politicians are going to put their cars. But at the same time, maybe it points to that uh, ambition that Eamon Ryan might have against you know, what the Taoiseach is saying and what the other members of the coalition are saying about these uh, these green plans. Yeah, absolutely. And um, on a more serious note, we saw the division there mm. when it came to setting the sectorial emission targets for the agriculture sector, which he spoke about to you um, earlier on this year, where there was a to and fro between Ag, Ag Minister Charlie McConnell and Eamon Ryan trying to set this target. They met in the middle of 25%, but Eamon Ryan pushing for 30%. So there always will be in a coalition, as you'd expect, uh, differences on opinions. Um, but look, he spoke about the retrofitting plan as well, um, big ambitions there. However, the examiner had report out Daniel McConnell, political editor, only a couple of weeks ago, which the Greens defended. But the reality is a scheme of the one-stop shop. About uh, 13 counties had less than 10 applications. So I think that was the figure I was putting to him about the 89 retrofit yeah, it's for complete. A yeah, that was through the official scheme. For a particular scheme, yeah. And okay. um, the average pay, the average, average cost, sorry, I should say, is about €29,000. And we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis. Mm. I don't know how many people are going to be able to afford that and into next year to meet those targets. So yeah. it all remains to be seen. Yeah. It does indeed. Um, let's talk about uh, the other big stories this week and the issue of, of banker pay came back into the spotlight, Owen, and it felt like we were catapulted back to the financial crash really this week between the Sean Quinn documentary and the issue on the political agenda of pa bankers' pay and bonuses. On that, it was 2009 when that pay cap came in. 
it's now set to be a thing of the past, whether politically comfortable or not. Yeah, so as we know that since the crash, there has been limits put on bankers' pay and the capacity of banks to give mm. bonuses to their staff. And during the week, the government announced their plans to change this. So, for example, there is now allowed to be bonuses up to 20,000 for all banks. And then specifically for Bank of Ireland, the cap of 500,000 mm. has been lifted. Now, Pascal Donoghue was at pains to point out that the government no longer own Bank of Ireland, so therefore putting a cap on its CEO's salary is quite difficult. I suspect, looking at it, that Pascal Donoghue and the government looked at this as a controversy that they were probably going to have to address, but also one that they could navigate their way through without a whole load of damage. Having said that, it's not going to be particularly popular because bankers, as we know since 2009, haven't been particularly popular. Also, the notion that uh, a state-owned bank like AIB are still able to give bonuses is quite controversial. But it has been something that has been lobbied for quite a while. Brian Hayes and the Irish mm. uh, Banking and Payments but Federation like, I mean, have lobbied I'm heavily at this, for this. And a lot of people will be watching tonight going, like the cap was set at half um, a million euro. Half a million euro. What could someone yeah. on a million euro do better than someone on half a million euro do, Henry? Two banks have left the market or are leaving the market. I mean, we've got to, I know this is not a very popular thing to say, but we've got to pay these people well to but get the best talent. they are being talent. paid well. Like, it's well, 500,000 well, euro not good if money. You, if you earn 500,000, you take home... 250,000, and the tax man will take half. Yeah, it's and, tough, isn't it? and also a 20,000 euro bonus. I know that sounds like a big bonus, but over in London, that's the average uh, bonus in the, in the banking mm. sector. That's the cap here. And if you want talent, you've got to pay them well. Do you know well. what? Some would say, and it was Vincent Brown, formerly of this parish, said, you know, there were, there were people earning an awful lot of money before the financial crash. And look, yes. what a great job they did of it. Yeah, I know, I know. We, so, we I mean, do you really get talent yeah. on, on bigger salaries? I mean, that's yeah. the big question. And what are people driven well, get, by? I think it's a bigger ambition. philosophical question mm. as well, mm. isn't it? Well, there's research that suggests in relation to salaries that once you kind of earn over €70,000, that that doesn't tend to necessarily be a major issue. However, mm. what the contrast becomes is when you look at peers in your industry, are you feeling like you are being remunerated appropriately? And what I suspect is the challenge around this mm. is that people who may be going for, say, for example, yeah. the CEO of a bank would look at their peers in perhaps professional services firms, consulting firms, and see that not only are they earning more for not as senior roles, but their bonuses are fairly hefty. Yeah, can... And that's part of, I suppose, the thesis. But yes, it's difficult crazy money to, and difficult... eye-watering at the best of times. Yeah, and difficult to stomach in, in a cost-of-living crisis as well and this timing around it yeah. um, for government. It dominated leaders' questions again. Pascal Donoghue was taking leaders' questions in place of Leo Radker, who's on a trade mission. And uh, Roisin Shortall, co-leader of Social Democrats, put it to him that it's galling for people, um, that it was a slap in the face to ordinary workers who were struggling. And essentially, Pascal Donoghue admitted that it was a sensitive topic mm. and that he understood that the banks, you know, had brought pain on households, but that that argument that it needs to be done to attract people. But he did say that he would be bringing legislation uh, to the Oireachtas that essentially would hopefully crack down on um, bankers, individual accountability, essentially, and he hoped that would be brought in. Mm -hmm. But I would say, Claire, there's a lot of people within Fine Gael that are really disappointed and actually quite annoyed that this was passed by Cabinet and particularly by Pascal as his finance minister, given that for the whole year there has been a battle between the opposition and the public about the cost of living crisis. Mm. The government have hailed their budget as, you know, 
one for everyone in the audience and it has been great. And then one of the final moves by Pascal Donoghue is to bring back the, the major payments yeah. for bankers. So it, it, they're, they're really disappointed and would have mm. wished if this was something that was left to maybe Michael McGrath. Um, also in the headlines today, Alan Dukes off the back of the Quinn documentary that was aired on RTE this week. And when he was talking about um, the attacks on Kevin Lunny and in the context of that, he was... Uh, suggesting that people from the border region have violence in their blood. And to quote, he said, I'm not saying they're different animals to the rest of us, but whether they have Provo links or whatever it is, it's something that's nearer to the way they think than it would be to somebody in South Tipperary. That's what he had to say on that. Um, no surprise um, that people were outraged and yeah. deeply unhappy I mean, about that. I mean, it was very insensitive and, you know, a, a, a huge uh, a, a documentary. And, you know, I, sometimes you do say things in, in documentaries and I know he has apologised a little bit. But It took, it took him a while, you know, like he, I, but I, not before digging in an interview yeah. earlier well, I mean, today in Fairburn. opinion. And, and, you know, I have to say uh, I do love the border and 99.9% .9 of people on the border are great, fantastic people. And, and, you know, when you take violence, when you yeah. take um, uh, the history of violence and violence in their blood, let's, we're in Dublin here at the moment. Dublin has had an issue with violence. He, yeah, but he not, wasn't referring not, to Dublin. I know, he was, he was having a go at the borders. He was having a yeah. go up I, in, in Cavan for Manor, yeah. You're saying, are, you, are you saying it was all right? He, no, what I, he was I, saying was, I was saying, fair, I think, fair I think what he, perhaps he could, have, he could have phrased it better. Oh, that, uh, yeah. uh, but, that was his line. But, but uh, if, at the end of the day, when we, when, we take, uh, when we take the whole Quinn thing, um, two billion euro it's cost the taxpayer. Yeah. And our, that levy, that 2% levy that we're all paying on sure. our insurance, we need to get back to that. Uh, mm. and, and you mentioned Kevin Lunny, we need to get back to that too. And yeah, I think Alan Jukes could be a bit of a uh, distraction on this. Yeah, what well, do you think, uh, Thomas? You're, you're, you're... Yeah, well, I have a significant proportion of my extended family from a border county, so I would have found the comments uh, offensive and demonstrably wrong and stupid. And I thought it was interesting that Alan Duke, somebody with such media experience over decades, would find himself in a situation where he'd be saying something on a significant documentary and then having to spend the next day uh, covering it up or clarifying it and then apologising for it. So I found that quite staggering. Um, so I think, though, when you begin to pick apart what he was trying to do, it was to try and find an understanding or some sort of way of describing or figuring out the, the angry loyalty that was shown to Sean Quinn and also trying to get an explanation for the evil that was put yeah. upon Kevin Lunny. I don't believe that he was able to articulate what that uh, was, but I think that was what he was hunting to do. Yeah, uh, he, he did apologise unreservedly this evening when speaking to Matt Cooper on Today FM, but notwithstanding that, it was quite explicit in what he said when, you know, he, he said... People from the border region have violence in their blood. Yeah, and he actually didn't apologise until after the interim Justice Minister Heather Humphreys came out. And obviously she's from Cavan. Um, she's a Fine Gael minister. Um, Alan Duke's been a former Fine Gael leader and put the boot in and said, you should apologise for your pressure. comments. Absolutely party pressure. He went on Claire Byrne this morning and he said that he phrased it wrong. He didn't apologise unreservedly. So it took, what, six, seven hours later for him to apologise. And the fury that has been felt among people that are living in border regions, and Heather Humphreys put it quite rightly, that there are victims there that were innocent and grew up and lived with the violence and had nothing yeah, to do with it. And people. to suggest and to suggest that 
they had violence in their blood mm. because they're from a particular area was just wrong. Yeah, I, and it may point to an attitude and a disconnect between people Absolutely. from different parts of the country, very uh, clearly there. Um, briefly to go to China and the protests that have taken place. It appears that they, they, may, they may be working to some extent, Henry, that yeah, people yes. brave enough to come out in the streets and, and it, protest it, about a zero COVID policy, and, and, we might be seeing a rowback. Absolutely, and you know, it all goes back to the, these, this flat complex. It was locked because uh, it was locked down and 10 people uh, died and this really upset uh, uh, the Chinese and they came out in huge numbers across China and yeah the Chinese they're backtracking a little bit and they're listening to their people uh, you know at the end of the day China is a dictatorship and uh, just a few figures here um, they had 36,000 cases yesterday and that is tiny in a country of 1.4 billion people um, that's uh, three deaths in every million the UK has had 2,400 deaths Per million. So China were always on top of COVID. Uh, and so the, these people, they're watching the World Cup and they're saying, why is everyone out? They're not wearing masks. Why are they not locked down? Yeah. And we are. Uh, and they're angry. And it, I yeah. think it's really interesting that the Chinese government are actually um, backtracking and, you know, because it's it would appear It watch. would appear that way, but uh, we'll have to see where it goes because, um, you know, the lockdowns have been in place there mm -hmm. now for several yeah. years. Uh, and anger. An, a, a, an abuse of power, many would say. Uh, lots more coming up after this break, including the Buckingham Palace Royal Race Row. Do stay with us. Welcome back, Managing Director of the Communications Clinic, Owen Thomas McDermott, Irish Examiner Political Correspondent Kira Phelan and News Talk broadcaster Henry McKean are all still with me. And we're going to move on to a big story that's hit the royal family in Britain and that's of uh, the departure, well, the sacking really out of her role of an 83-year-old lady, Sarah Hussey, um, after comments she made mm -hmm. went public. Um, and this is another race row for the royal family. Um, fill us in, Kira, on exactly what happened here and how quickly uh, the royal, the British royal family made this decision because the, the, the sacking um, of this right-hand woman yeah. uh, to the royals was swift. Yeah, she lady-in-waiting lady in for the Queen for 60 years, um, Lady Susan Hussey was her name, and uh, essentially she was at a reception with um, a black woman who was British-born domestic violence campaigner, and she was repeatedly asked, where do you come from? And she said, I'm British. And the uh, royal member, member of the Royal Palace <laughs> insinuated and continued on trying to ask where she came from. And essentially, um, like you said, the palace itself moved very swiftly mm -hmm. um, and condemned uh, the questioning of her heritage of where she came from. Interestingly enough, um, the member in particular, she's actually the godmother of uh, Prince of Wales, Prince William, who is currently in the States with Kate Middleton. This has completely overshadowed their visit there. They were actually booed when they, they were, were there at, at, at a basketball game. match. Yeah, at an NBA game. And I, it's a really, I suppose, contentious issue at the moment because we had the Harry and Meghan mm -hmm. interview and Meghan came out and said that a member of the royal family okay. questioned the colour of her baby's skin. Let, let's have a little, because uh, the timing of this is interesting, the clip for, from the Meghan and Harry documentary that has dropped today. I think we can have a little look at that. I had to do everything I could to protect my family.
when the stakes are this high, doesn't it make more sense to hear our story from us? Very Hollywood, isn't it? Oh, it's very yeah. annoying. It's very annoying. But you'll watch, though. We will watch. We'll, we will all watch. You'll and, be watching. And, and you'll fact, be watching anyway, Henry. I will be. And it came out on the same day as this huge scandal. And um, I, I do think it's, mm. it's, it's absolutely fascinating mm -hmm. because, as you were saying, Susan Hussey was hugely important to the royal family, 60 years. And she actually was there uh, when Prince uh, Philip died. Uh, she was compa a companion there with, with the Queen. Uh, and... Um, you know, it's, you know, all that service, if I can say that, and she's gone. And I think William said, look, that's it. It's institutional racism. She's got to go. And he, yeah, he, did, he, did, is, he yeah. did actually say, you know, it's the right decision. Yeah. She had to go. And it's, you know, it, it is. There's no getting away from it. It is institutional racism. And you can see why Meghan and Harry, they, they're getting their 75 million, uh, you know, back Netflix that it gets released on this day. But, you know, at the same time, I know it's institutionalised racism. Just yesterday, someone said, where am I from? And I said, I'm from Scaries. And they said, where are you really from? And I said, yeah. the Neary, where are you, you really from? Do you know what, from? Henry, though? And, and you know, know you're coming from a place of privilege I'm, I'm, I'm there. A white, yeah. I'm a white it's privileged man. It's very different, and, and, and I think and everyone she, accepts she, that it's you know, very the, different. This lady from Sister Space, um, you know, she was there talking about something serious, okay. and she was being... It was condescending mm. uh, by this very important yeah. lady. It's tough. It's yeah. very, very tough. But right. she had to go. Yes, let's move on uh, to a story. We're not at the World Cup, but we certainly made headlines with this particular clip that went viral. I think we can have a watch of this now. It's short, it's simple. <laughs> uh, um, what, what, do, what do you make of this? I mean, it, it blew up. This is an Irishman at a match post the France match. Uh, Je suis une baguette. It is obviously now a UNESCO uh, protected yes, indeed. item of <laughs> Because food, of its intangible it? cultural of, significance, uh, which is very impressive. And that perhaps Eddie O'Keefe from Limerick, who was the person featured um, saying Je suis une baguette, was maybe perhaps a nod to the baguette. It has gotten millions of views and thousands of likes, and Emmanuel Macron has liked it as well. Which we all got very we? we all got very excited, given that I suppose we in Ireland sometimes like when important people notice us. What struck me as very interesting, though, is that we have... A, I think, an uh, unparalleled uh, capacity to turn up at sporting events. So we have Eddie there wearing his Ireland jersey. You can see there's a fella in an Offaly jersey behind him. <laughs> we have watched the Masters where there has been uh, Kerry jerseys. I think I saw a Mayo for Sam at yeah. the Super Bowl. We just turn up at these things again, which for a small country, I think, is hugely impressive. We, we, can't help, we can't really help ourselves. Big news, actually, from the World Cup tonight. Germany are out. And that'll send shockwaves in this World Cup. And it was only because Japan had this uh, critical win over Spain. So Spain and Japan going through, even though Costa Rica beat, um, uh, or Germany beat Costa Rica, they are now out of the competition. So uh, shock there in Qatar. Okay, let's talk about Spotify wrapped because, um, you know, it's, it's arriving into anyone who's using the app, the music streaming app, will have got their list of the most listened to tracks this year. And some people will be really proud to show theirs. I'm just on mine when we look at the top artists that I listened to this year. Um, coming in at number one was Peppa Pig. Peppa Pig <laughs> was my number one artist. So that's not something I should really be sharing with anyone, but it just reflects. Uh, number two is the Minions. The Minions are a bit cooler now. That, that's a bit better.
you know, but uh, as what, what's your list looking like? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I'm the only one in the pan without children, so listen, mine is... <laughs> although oh, some you of you might think I have an awful taste of music, so my top artists were J-Lo, Taylor Swift, Queen, right. Westlife, and a bit of Pitbull thrown in there as well, so yeah. I'll give you an idea of what yeah. my Saturday night consists of. <laughs> yeah, that's also, that's also in my list. Um, Henry, Henry, yeah. what about yours? Well, I, I mean, you know, there's children. These, these things are obviously look. It's, it's a big marketing very, thing for Spotify. It's very personal, Christmas, and but, I, I, yeah. I don't normally share this. I actually haven't said this to anyone, uh, you know, except you guys here tonight. Um, and my top artist is Elton John. My top song is "I'm Still Standing," oh, that's okay. and this that's is because of my son. I think it's that movie "Sing" or "Sing 2. Yes. Uh, he loves it. But then this is me. Uh, then it's Pet Shop Boys, Wings, Lyle Lovett, Madonna. Oh, that's okay, that's uh, reasonable. Uh, and then top that's songs: okay. "The Boys of Summer." Uh, and then there's quite a bit there from Paul McCartney and Wings. Uh, there's silly love songs and there's also Drive. Oh, so it's romantic. soft rock. It is soft uh, rock. Uh, and, yeah. and, you know, <laughs> am I proud of this? Not really, but no, this is what no I No, there's no shame in to. that. There's no shame in that. No. Peppa Pig, there's shame in that for me. I'll have to live with that, but there you go. Mine um, is influenced a little by my children, but they, we had Bruno Mars, number one, Gorillas. Arctic Monkeys, and then Kira assured me I wouldn't be cancelled. <laughs> um, Kanye West actually came onto this list, so none of us are clear in the household, or certainly none of us are admitting to who was listening to Kanye. And then two people whose name, is, whose name I, I just didn't know who they were, uh, Kyle Dixon and Michael Steen, who were the producers of The Strangers Things ah, uh, soundtrack, cool. which my kids are very much into so, as well. So yeah, there you go. When you listen to it, also sad news in the music world this week with uh, the passing of Christine McVie. You're a big Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, got, I was lucky enough uh, to see the, the full lineup uh, uh, over the years in, in the Point, the Three Arena. Mm. Uh, and no, it's, it's an end of an era. And yeah. just uh, really, really yeah. sad news. And, uh, you know, a tragic, tragic loss, yeah. short illness. Uh, you know, uh, she and wrote so, Little Lies, Songbird. So influential. Um, uh, okay. You know, and, and uh, just That's brilliant. Rumours, the Rumours oh. album. And, uh, and very, and very listen, sad. We're going we're gonna to play out the show um, with some of Fleetwood Mac. My thanks to the panel. Uh, the sound of Fleetwood Mac now is a tribute to Christine McVie, uh, who passed away, as I say, at the age of 79. There we leave it. Good night. Take care.